All right, welcome back, everybody. Episode 41 of the Young Old Heads podcast. Shout out Dirk Nowitzki. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Max, aka Cards Max, aka Cards Max Series 1. Max, how you doing this week? I'm doing good. I'm doing a quick 41 divided by 52 calculation to find out we're at three quarters of a year. We've evolved from half a year. I'm going from Sapphire Edition to Pad Paradasha Edition and Cards Boat Skyline Cards. And this is a very special week because we're having a guest on this week who is very famous in the young old heads collecting world as a uh, great content creator. He's a friend of the program, done a lot of collab content with your boys over the year, over the last year plus. So Nick, Nick Stack and Sell, welcome to the program. How you doing, Nick? Very good. Thank you so much for having me today. This has been a long time coming. I've been waiting to come on this pod. I was hoping that I was going to get invited a little sooner, but I'm happy to be here now. Um, Tommy and I's relationship goes back to culture collision. It last February or was that, yeah. was that February? Yeah. yeah. So we go back, we go back a year now. Um, I've got to know a lot of the guys at the Ludex headquarters. Um, Max and I have been talking online. And then what was our first show we met at? It was, uh, it was the national, the national, the national. I, uh, we were in the same hotel and I'm like, Oh, that's Tommy's boy. And I'm like, Oh, I walked up and it's like, Oh, how you doing? You're, you're, you're Mr. Stack and so, right. <laughs> it's an honor to shake your hand. And then, uh, we bumped into each other in Dallas and then most recently at Burbank, I am very honored to be your thumbnail boy for the next few YouTube videos you're producing. One more, one more. You, you're the thumbnail picture of one more. Uh, that would is honestly my fault of not taking more thumbnails throughout the week. And then we're about to leave and Steve's like, Hey, we've got uh, no thumbnail pictures for this week. Like we need to re we need to create them all right now within the next five minutes. And then shout out Max for being able to, to create some great poses and, Yes. Got to always attract the viewers, you know, scrolling through YouTube. Oh, that looks cool. I mean, in the most heterosexual way possible, we're all very attractive men. So it's easy to get those clicks. Oh, well, Max is very emotive with his face, as we know, if you watch this podcast on YouTube. Uh, Max is always uh, someone you always love to watch his face while we're talking about cards. But Nick, you know, I think we had to level up on our end to have you on. So I'm glad that we're finally making it happen. Uh, you alluded, yeah, we've known each other for a little over a year now. I think last year when we met, you know, I was just starting out Ludex. I hadn't really gotten too deep into like the traveling card circus that is, you know, the card shows of America. And I think you were kind of just starting to travel. Like that was one of the first, I think that was the first show you'd ever traveled to, right? Culture Collision last yeah. year? That was like one of the first ones when I started traveling more consistently. Um, I had been to the Dallas card show, but it had just been like, my dad had to work there that week, and I was just like, yeah, I'll come, and I'll, I'll go to the show and check it out. Uh, but that was, like, my first one where it was, like, I'm going here to actually, like, make moves and, uh, like, actually deal in cards, and I had a table at a bigger show. I remember uh, at, at Culture Collision, I have this vivid memory, Nick, of us, like, uh, going outside to a quote-unquote walk-the-dog situation, and having just a really good like 30 minute conversation about like what's possible with content and cards and kind of how, you know, there's this opportunity for content creators who are kind of speaking on a very relatable level for people who aren't dealing in these like 
five, six figure cards to come in and kind of give, you know, the real person kind of a story on how you can really build a, like a dealer mindset and cards, make money, but also, you know, just like learn and be a good dude. So it's cool to see you over the last year. You've really increased your content uh, output, which has been cool to see. So if you're listening to this and haven't seen Nick's uh, content stuff, definitely make sure to follow him on YouTube at Stack and Sell. Uh, some of the best YouTube vlogs I've ever, like I really see out there. Um, do you want to talk to us a little bit about like what your strategy is with YouTube and content in general and how you kind of bridge that with your dealer, what you do as a dealer? And we all know there's only two real human beings in the hobby. It's myself and Brian Gray. But when we see people that act like real human beings, that emulate real human beings, such as Nick Sostak, he doesn't just do the shiny cards, the Tyrese Halbert and black gold choice autos, the Tua Tagovailoa gold vinyl one of ones from Optic. No, we have a real human being who does real human being cards. And so many cards, he has a million cards that he buys at once sometimes. And going with the commoner, going with the cards that you, the listener, put in your binder or showcase and ones that are actually, you know, you see in a pack of cards and you don't just see it in the flawless suitcase, luggage case that you bring to TSA. These are real human being cards. And Nick emulates not just a dealer, but a dealer who involves himself in humanity. So what's the manifesto of Stack and Sell? So, I mean, like, I personally got started, like, going to shows in 2013, 2014. I think 2014 was my first national in Chicago. And I and I try to, like, think about, all right, when I was a kid, what was I looking for first? And that was the guys that I was personally collecting and that stuff that, that's under, like, 20 bucks. Mainly, like, 3 to $4 patch cards. Uh, my first ever PC was just Indiana players that my cousin played at college with. So that was Jordan Howard, Cody Latimer, uh, Tevin Coleman. But I wasn't looking for $500 101 NTs of them. I was looking for cool patches, cool autos that I didn't have. If that's college, if that's pro, that were under 20 bucks. Most of the times it was like 3 to $5 patches, but I found it cool. So I, when it comes to cards-wise, I'm always looking for all right, if I buy this at this percentage, what is the margin that I'll be able to make on it? And let's say I'm buying a two row full of just patches and autos. All right, let's say that half of those are just going to be dollar patches and autos and I've got a dollar patch and auto guy. And then the rest of them are like two to four dollar stuff. Well, I probably don't want to be buying most of this stuff at more than 50 cents, 75 cents. So I try to view stuff as there is more lower end collectors in the market than guys buying cards, hundred dollars plus $500 plus. Like I know you even see guys buying like 10 K hundred K million dollar cards. There's not many of those people in the hobby. It, it's very small. Most of the people that are in the hobby, at least in my opinion, 90% of the hobby is just people that go to shows on the weekend and have fun or people that go on eBay and are just buying fun stuff that they find cool. So, my main thing is finding stuff that I think collectors will like and not so much the super, super high-end guys. At least right now, I'm not really into the high-end, high-end market. Yeah, um, go, even going over, because I ingest myself in a lot of what non-human beings will call low-end. 
but binder cards, fun parallels, etc. And I've mentioned before how my strategy is to just, if I see a box with a bunch of junk, I pretty much task the seller because the seller, for some reason, asks me how much I'm willing to pay on the box when I've never seen the cards in my life. I'm like, what's the average card worth in this box and how many of them are there? And then you just try to get a number off that. But most people aren't easy. But when we're dealing with cards like that, um, I know a frequent segment we do on this show, which we'll do later, is the five most recent eBay buys. Uh, fittingly, my five most recent eBay sells are a Jose Rodriguez Bowman Sterling Auto from uh, this year, an Anthony Rodriguez Bowman Sapphire first, a Travis Etienne uh, numbered parallel from this year's Prestige, not a rookie, a random Patrick Kane base card from Upper Deck 2022 Black Diamond, and a Brett Beatty Atomic from 2021 Bowman Chrome, not a first. All of those are sub $10 cards. All of those, but the Anthony Rodriguez is not a rookie or first Bowman. And people buy them. People buy them. And really just ignoring this entire sector of the market. Sure, flippers can make 1K or 2K flipping you know, a $10,000 card for $12,000. But people make their careers and brick and mortar stores out of dealing with the binder cards. A common theme of the Young Old Heads podcast is just different ways to find cards for good deals. Kind of the general theme of like buying cheap, cool cards is kind of the way to go to have like a really good, long lasting, like collecting experience where you're feeling good about stuff. Um, but Nick, you're kind of unique in terms of people that we've had on the show because you really do put a lot of time and energy into the content that you're putting out there. And so I guess my question for you and kind of in relation to like that general theme of like ways to buy and sell cards in an efficient way. Like how do you use your content to help your dealer game that you're playing? Like is how much conscious thought are you putting into like, I want people to know that I'm buying these cards both because I want to buy cards from the people watching potentially and sell potentially to those people. So how do you balance that? Like I'm all, I'm both a buyer and seller to the people that watch my content. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, so if if we're saying like how much money overall, I've spent so much money on buying different equipment, if that's cameras, different mics, paying cameramen to come out, paying people to just watch the table. That I know I've taken a massive loss on over the last year, year and a half, just paying people. I've never seen, never seen the money come back in the way that like I've made a bunch of money off YouTube. I've made a bunch of money off TikTok, but I view it as when I'm producing content, I'm getting more eyeballs on myself. I'm getting more eyeballs on, oh, I saw that guy on YouTube. I see him at a show. I know that he is very fair and he's very upfront. Like I'm going to go see him because he's going to be upfront. He's going to tell me exactly what he's going to buy it at and then what he's going to sell it at. So I, content-wise, I try to put out exactly what I do at shows. So then when people see me at shows or if they see me on Instagram and they're like, hey, I want to move some stuff, they know exactly where I'm going to be. They know I'm usually buying between, depends on the stuff, 70, 75%. If it's, if it's nicer stuff and the lower end stuff, I'm a little lower just because it may, may take a little longer to move. I may have to pay someone to upload the stuff to eBay. And my view on content is not so much of making the money right now as like YouTube paying me, 
Have I made a little bit of money? Yes. Is it under $1,000? Yes. But I view it as you see me on YouTube, you see me on Instagram, TikTok. Like, I can't name the amount of times that I had kids come up to me this weekend at the Skyline Show. Oh, I, I saw you on TikTok. Like, I, I know you. You're on my For You page. And that's like great for me to hear. Because, exactly. The, 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 hey, I mean, most of them were like 12, but there, there was also people that kind of look like kids that kid. were 22. But I view it as it's not paying off now, or at least it doesn't show on paper. But I think I get a lot more traction on sh- at shows and on Instagram just because I'm putting myself out there. What is content? Is it just reels on YouTube or do you expand in the breadth larger than that? I do I do reels, YouTube, TikTok. I'm going to start posting on Facebook just to see how that does with, I know it's going to be more of an older demographic, but I did post one video on, on Facebook like last year that ended up doing like 2 million views. So I'm going to try doing that a little bit more now. I know you guys are always pushing me to get on Twitter. I really do need to get on Twitter. It's like, I just have so many ideas that come in my brain all day. And I, and I mean, Max probably understands this. I deal with myself all day and I just call my friends really. And I just, oh, I just thought about this. Like, really, is Derek Carr going to go here? Like, I just need to share some of these things and Twitter would be perfect for that. Yeah, that's Max. Max and I talk a lot about like, why Twitter is our favorite collecting platform just because it's it's really the discourse is there more so than on Instagram because on Instagram, you know, you have comments, but there's not really threads. It's not very easily shareable to like share an opinion um, and then have like multiple people like hop hop on that, share their, their like kind of nuanced take on an idea. Um, Max, I know you've lately been annoyed that card influencers have been flocking to Twitter and posting their real videos and stuff. And that's been a point of frustration, which I think is fair. Like if you're going to enter a platform, you have to be like a contributing member of that platform, like the community on the platform. You can't just come in, post your videos, dip and be like, why aren't people watching it? Or like, you should follow me. Like having 5,000 followers and following three people doesn't really cut it in the hobby. Like it doesn't really do it, but Nick, something that I was watching your most recent video or your first vlog from Burbank. And I really liked this conversation you had with CBLEZ about like kind of the slow and steady growth that you've had. You you were talking about how like CBLEZ was like, yeah, like I, I've seen you like kind of move stuff. Like you have a lot better cards than you used to have. And you're like, yeah, like I, you know, it's been a slow, slow build. And I think that's something that like I can relate to for sure even though I don't sell that much, but it's still like been a really slow build of my collection. Like I was thinking about how we did that video last year where you were over at my apartment and we were going through all my collection and stuff. And I was like, I watched some of that and I'm like, literally every card that I showed you, probably I wouldn't show you now because it's not even in like my top part of my collection anymore or whatever, you know, it's like I've built so much since then that that video would be totally different if we did it again. But do you want to talk about how you've been able to slow build up like what were did you have any like big milestone moments where you like flipped a big card you were able to like do a big jump in your value of cards that you were hanging on to any any like anecdotes or anything before we get into that i want to mention that tommy is done with pcing james wiseman and all of his james wiseman cards made it into my dollar box this weekend 
And a lot of people were happy to find them there. And I was happy to tell them that this is a great deal. And it probably will never end up in here again, but it's because they were done with Tommy's PC. <laughs> yeah, I, um, uh, I walked by Nick's ahead. table. Oh, sorry, real quick. I uh, Obviously, Wiseman got traded. I had a lot. I have a lot of Wiseman cards, but I brought a few. Not a sports analysis podcast. Not a sports analysis (laughs) podcast. But Nick has blessed me in my collection throughout the last year, like buying big bulk lots, hooking me up with like random PC stuff. So I walked by Nick's table. I had a stack of like Weissman parallels, and I was like, Nick, I am donating these to your bins as repayment for some of the hooking me up in the in the past. So I'm glad to hear that people got those, but. Sorry for the anecdote. <laughs> no, I, 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 I had to throw that out there. But um, one thing that really comes to mind. So back in 2016, I National was in Chicago. I had bought a Connor McDavid UD Black RPA out of five. Uh, triple patch, beautiful, beautiful patches. Like even if you look at the out of tens, that most one's out of, of five. them aren't. Yeah, my, mine was out of five. But out the, if you look at the out of tens, most of them are like one color, two color patches. This was three, four color patch. All, all the triples were either three or four color patches. So this was a beautiful card. I bought it back at the National in 20, 2016 for 950 bucks, And I had just been holding on to this card, holding on to this card. And I finally got it graded the National before, or in the 2021 National or 2020 national. And then I started bringing around shopping it more in 2021. And I ended up moving it. My, my biggest like first move at like 14,000 trade. And it was just crazy. Like after I did the deal, like I was so sad that I let, let go of this card that I just watched, just go up, go up, go up over time. But then I was like, wow, like the amount of things that I could do with these cards now liquidate them did I end up getting 13,000 in cash? No, but I liquidated it down and I realized like, wow, like trading is so important in this hobby. If you want to keep working your way up, because if you're not trading, there's usually not a buyer at most shows that has 15, $20,000 in, in their pocket. But there is most of the time, if there's a higher end dealer that is willing to trade some stuff that he may be in lower for a grail card that he never thought would come up that he's seeing at a show. So that was my first like big move and seeing like, wow, like I could do this. Like, like before that I was kind of just living at home, struggling to flip like little cards on eBay. And then I was like, damn, this could actually be something for me. When did you make the transition to cards full time? 20 we're in 2023 right no 2022 2020 2021 the month of july and what spurred that to be honest with you i was flipping swimming pools full time that that whole entire summer and i was yes i was cooking i i was selling on amazon and I was driving from Targets to Walmarts to uh, American Sale, which is here in Illinois, from Illinois to, to Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, 
I was just doing that grind and the season ended. I'm like, do I really want to go back to flipping Playstations and Xboxes again? Or do I want to just go like fully into cards? And a bunch of my buddies, even like my parents were like, just go back to the Playstations. You're making so much money. And I was just like, I really love cards and I wanted to do, I wanted to make some sort of content because growing up, I wanted to be a teacher, but school wasn't my thing. So I was like, maybe I can make content and kind of like help people out in cards. Cause I've been, I've been in it for a while, but I haven't really shared much about like my progression in cards. So that's when I was like, I'm going to do cards full time, but at the same time, I'm going to drop little content of like what I'm doing in cards and how I'm progressing in cards as well. So what was, what was the first stack and sell YouTube video then? My first stack and sell YouTube video was literally an introduction of what I was looking to do, who I am. I was so nervous. I had like to, to be a hundred percent frank with you. I was so unconfident in myself. I was so, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. I, I just, I didn't view myself as like a authority, like someone that I would look up to. I, I just, I was, I viewed myself as like a wimp and I was just like a poser. Now, like the last year, I've been like who I want to be. And like, I'm, I'm doing what I like. I really don't care like what anybody thinks. Like there's a lot of people that dislike me if that's in the hobby or if that's in real life. And I've realized like you can't make everybody happy in life. Like if, if you're not happy, then what does it like? What does it matter? especially if you're putting out content that like thousands of people are watching a week, like you, it's, it's impossible to have a hundred percent say like approval rating. That's just not going to happen. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that. Like you give that real, uh, that real kind of like, this is my life kind of content. I like a lot, especially on like your stories and stuff. You're always, you know, you're just like drive doing your takes from the car or whatever on what your opinion <laughs> is on whatever the news is. And I always appreciate that. Um, but something that I feel like I really, think is interesting nick and what i want to talk about with you and max a little bit is like just ways of liquidating cards something that me and max talk a lot about like finding the most efficient ways of like getting rid of the cards or like selling and like making money on the cards that you do have and i feel like you're kind of one of those people that's always finding new ways of liquidating cards and i was just wondering could you could do you think that you could list off like every platform in every way that you've sold a card in the last couple of years because i bet it's a long list um i'll fill in the blanks if there are any with what i do okay um so facebook has been something that i've used going in facebook groups i've also sold on facebook marketplace this was really really early um but i usually used marketplace for selling wax because you would be able to promote that that and then be able to that would go to the top of the page and sometimes i would sell in groups too um i've sold on ebay since uh 2015 and i i continue i still sell on ebay today i've got a whole two row full two row box that i have to list on ebay i've never sold a card on my slabs i bought on my slabs before uh i recently started selling a lot more on instagram but i will say this i don't think that i could sell on instagram if i didn't have as much of a following as i as i do Cause I've tried, I tried selling on Instagram when I had five, six, 700 followers and it just doesn't work because you have no audience that knows, Hey, he's selling stuff and he's selling at a good percentage. Now 
my audience kind of understands when something goes on my story, like I, I'm, I'm always going to tell you, Hey, this is what it goes for. And then this is what I got to get out of it. And uh, I'm trying to think of anything else shows my number, my number one thing now it shows. And Max, you, you could chime in on this is finding repackers, people that do the repack products that are able, that'll be like, here's the comps. This is what we pay. It, it is so slept on just going to those people right when you get to a show just to go get cash, to go walk around with. Because sometimes yeah. they, they are looking for something super specific. And if you have that super specific thing, they will pay pretty close to what you're going to net on eBay. Me, Max and I were having a little uh, back and forth last week, Nick, about Burbank having like a liquidation center at the show. Um Max was kind of hating on it because he was like, actually, the dealers kind of were the ones who ended up, you know, taking an L. Uh, yeah, but- I'll say some methods that um, that I do myself is I use Twitter. Obviously, I enjoy selling on Twitter. I enjoy the community. And for the most part, again, it's part of it is like what Nick was saying about building a following and engaging in people. But when that's present and you're not just speaking to a wall, granted, it's earned by talking and earning this and discoursing with people. But even some of the veteran high IQ giga sellers, people know that they're getting a good deal. They do a sale every week or every day of the week at a certain time. And people just tune into the into their profile and people are lining up ready to claim, especially when it's on collector level cards and not just the 20k Tyrese Halliburton's shout out Logan's League because he was the first person that came to mind that does this sort of daily at the same time format you claim for two weeks and then he invoices you after two weeks that's kind of cool um interesting that you were saying that you don't buy excuse me that you only buy off my subs and that you don't sell I have the unorthodox way of trying to list my list my eBay cards that are let's say fifty to a thousand dollars or so list them at about 10% higher than the most recent auction. If I'm lowest available bin, buy it now. And I'll list them for a buy it now. Sometimes people will message me on eBay saying they, they want to do a certain price. And sometimes I'll just take it or I'll try to get them to go uh, sometimes off platform, wink, wink, nod, nod. But if I, because I try to make sure all of my cards are listed everywhere at all times, I go to my slabs, which has a demographic of buyers that want to consciously buy below comps. I list my my slabs at whatever my eBay net is, which is obviously going to be, for the most part, below sales. No offers enabled on either platform. And I want to say I have 50 or 60 sales on my slabs, which is a lot better than zero. And those are sales that would not have converted without my slabs or wouldn't have converted as fast. And then the last thing I use is blowout forms. I don't use it too often, but if I have a lot of inventory, I just make a thread and I bump it every once in a while. Quick way to have your little storefront on a message board. Are you, uh, I mean, blood is crazy. Nick, have you ever gone on blowout and like done anything on there? I, I honestly used it in 2016. I bought two cards off of there and then just completely stopped using it. Once I got a card Instagram, wink, wink. I, I had a card Instagram when I was like in high school and then deleted it right when I got to college. Um, but I've used it. It seems like it's a bunch of boomers and uh, 
it's just the old farts on there, but I may be completely wrong. There may be some young fellas, but it seems like all the boomers honestly had to blow up for them and uh, the youngins stay on the social media. Hey, that boomers is. buy cards. Yeah, boomers have cash. What did Jordan say? Uh, Republicans buy shoes too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but no, that's cool, Nick. Like, I feel like you really, uh, I feel like me and you've had this conversation of like, you are involved in every aspect of the hobby, you know, like you're in the YouTube world, you're selling on Instagram, you're selling on eBay, you're going to shows all over the place. Max has just started traveling to shows. And obviously, like, I'm lucky where like I where like I get the opportunity to travel for shows for work. I'm not going as a dealer. Obviously, I'm kind of just going as a, you know, a consumer and like someone who's just going as like, for work. So I don't really see this the grind side of things like the cost cutting on the road, like, trying to save money on food and like where you're staying and stuff. So, so like, what is some of the lessons you've learned while traveling for the last year? Like, cause I know that you think about the investment, you're investing your time and energy, not just because you're going to make like money on the inventory and on like your actual revenue, but also in terms of like relationship building and finding like new networks that you can integrate yourself in. Is that like, are th- is that all part of the thought process when traveling around? So when I first got started in the hobby, I was so focused on, or not started, but when I first started doing it full time, I was so focused on just the money. I was so focused on like, I went to the show, this is how much I spent on gas, this is how much I spent on my table, this this is how much, whatever, all my expenses, I would just worry about all that. And that's fine to do, like worry about, like you definitely got to know your expenses, you got to know what you're going to spend going into a show. So then you're like, okay, I, I sell this amount. And then I'm good. But the last like year-ish, year and a half, I've started focusing so much more on just like, I don't care if I'm broke right now. I really think that like, if I play the long game, and yes, I'm I'm not living the lavish life of buying the twenty fifty thousand dollars cards right now, then maybe that not maybe I will I know that it'll pay off. Because if I'm just in the hobby, and I stay competitive and and people keep seeing my face like i said again for content and the same thing when you're at shows if you're there and the same dealers that have been setting up for 20 years see you two times a month see you three times every two months they keep seeing your face they're like all right this guy's like actually taking this seriously and he's not just here for the for the money and and just that when you're there for the relationships as well and formulating a relationship at a show that, all right, you, you formulation a relationship at a show with a dealer. That dealer follows you on Instagram. How many deals can you get through done through Instagram during the week? Because technically, you only got two days on the weekends to sell at shows. So you got to find something to do all other five days to make your money and, and be able to support your business. So I've realized making those relationships on the weekends will make make you so much more money the other five days during the week when you're not selling at shows. I think you have some really interesting tidbits. Um, so when you're at, cause I, when I'm setting up at shows, I don't view it really for selling almost at all. I view it for buying entirely. How, what proportion of your buys are you walking the show floor versus what comes to your table? Really just depends on the show. Um, the local shows, it's nearly all, people just coming up to me the bigger shows i feel like it's mainly me just like 
like at the national, I'm probably not going to get a table again, just because I've tried. Um, I've reached out to a couple couple people, and it's like, yeah, you could have one showcase, and uh, yeah, it's going to cost you fifteen hundred bucks. And I'm like, is that worth my money? I don't know. I I think I'd rather walk around, see see my different friends that are in for, in for the week, and and kind of just connect that way than uh, setting up at the national, spending fifteen hundred bucks just for one showcase. Can you repeat what you said again? Uh, I was saying what proportion of buys are walk-ups versus people that come to your table. And then I, I'd say buying-wise, I do a oh, lot. You walking the show floor versus people coming to your table. I said walk-ups versus people coming to your table. But you walking the floor. And and I'll even say this. Most of shows for me is a lot of selling and trading because I do a lot more buying through connections that I've made, if that's like, I met you at a show and then you're reaching back out to me via text or via Instagram and I'll just buy from you locally. And then I'll sell that stuff at the show or sell that stuff on Instagram. I've realized that maybe 30, 40% of my buying now is at shows. Most of my stuff is just recent relationships that I've made through people. They're like, Hey, can you come by the house? I, I want to sell, sell off all my stuff or I want to, I want to uh, sell off a couple cards and I know you're going to treat me right. Like I, I trust you to come on over. So that's changed over the last six months. I used to just, all I would do is buy, buy, buy at shows, but now it's just creating the relationships. I don't even have to go to shows and spend money. Cause a lot of the guys that are at the shows are looking for 80, 85%. Yeah. I think that's interesting because when I go to shows, I go to buy, I feel like most of the time, if I'm selling at a show, people want too much of a discount for my liking rather than trying to get that in the end collector or end speculator. The person who wants to invest in Tua is going to pay a strong premium for my premium Tua card rather than the person who wants to buy bulk. And jumping off of that, you're saying you love the repack guys. I'm very bittersweet on them because I know they're mostly paying 80 to 85 which in your context, if you're buying at 70 and we're doing numbers math, you're making money there, but not even at the point of making money. I want to make the most money possible while still making my inventory and buying and selling fluid. I'm rarely in need of a full on cash out for someone to buy my whole showcase because then I'm out of things to sell and the stuff that I'm buy, I'm usually relatively picky and getting in the first place. So getting the 80% cash out when you can get 85 to 90 online is definitely bittersweet. And here's where I would say we're completely different. I yeah. am more in the game of making a quick nickel than what is that the saying? Make a quick nickel than than a long dime. I would I churn stuff very very fast and the reason I do that is I want every single show you come up to me, I don't want to have the same cards as I had last time. Yeah. And even even at the beginning of the, the Ludic show on on Saturday, I didn't have 60 percent of the cards that I started with. By the time you, you could come back to my table two, three, four times and I'm always going to have new stuff. I'm always just looking at it. All right. If I buy at 70 and sell at 80, like I could do it again. I know how to replicate it. I know that I know where to get the inventory to replicate that. at. And, I feel like it's fine at 70. It depends it, what, what range you're buying in. 
if you're if you're looking for the more expensive 500 to i think 500 to 1500 range then yeah i agree i think it's 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 a lot more difficult but if you're buying sub 200 and it's someone that's like all right i'm looking to liquidate then i think it's a lot easier real quick uh Nick, I'm glad you brought up your in like your strategy with relationships because I think that content creators in the hobby often are putting out content at the expense of like having the goodwill and respect of like the vast majority of the hobby. Um, I don't know if I said that totally correctly, but like the content you put out and the way that you behave is exactly the same. And there's a lot of people out there who the content they put out there is completely different than like the person they are actually when you're dealing with them on a real level. Um, there's a very prominent Chicago person that I'm thinking of that me and you both uh, both have our own gripes with that uh, will go nameless because I know he doesn't listen to the podcast. But like there's a certain level of like respect that you have that I think is just really why me and Max wanted to have you on the podcast because you really align with like kind of the young old head strategy, like the young old heads manifesto of like, you know, we're, we're bringing a new perspective to the hobby, but we're also like respecting, you know, the people that, that know shit and like know cards on a deeper level. But you actually forgot one way that you liquidate cards that I'm personally fascinated with because I think it's a very unique way that someone with your following is able to liquidate cards that let's and it say- ain't no, no, I'm not saying Comsi. Don't worry. I've talked to Nick about Comsi already, <laughs> but it's a whatnot and like the kind of live auction sites we didn't talk about. Um, I know that this is something that you know, with you who has so many eyeballs on their content, are able to drive people to your whatnot. Um, I know that people with like kind of smaller followings or whatever have struggled on whatnot or have like a lot more problems with it. Um, what's your experience with kind of live auction sites, live auction platforms in general, and like how has being able to sell on those changed how you've been buying and selling and your strategies and stuff. So we'll get back to the, whatever the topic we were on before, but shows and relationships, shows and relationships. Yes. Cause that's I, I and like, that once we do return to that. Yeah. But I was selling on whatnot from October until December the, the last year in 2022. And I went on, my dad took me on a cruise at the end of December for Christmas. And for that seven days, I was just thinking about like, well, do I want to keep doing whatnot? Am I, is this like what I really want to do? And I like the platform. I personally, everybody I talked to through whatnot was really, really nice people. Um, I had uh, one guy named Ethan, who is like my, I think they like the onboard person or whatever they call it. Really, really cool dude. And the one thing that I kept struggling with was I just felt so fake pushing out like, like anybody can do it because it's no, not everybody can do it. Like if you don't have a following, it's impossible. I will go into some streams with like two, three people in there. Someone will put up a $15 card and it goes for two bucks. And it's just, it's sad to watch. And, and it's sad that you see these content creators pumping out. And, and can you grow on whatnot? A hundred percent. As someone with no following, a hundred percent. But it's a, it's a long dime. It, oh, it's a long dime. It's a super long dime. And you're you going to get eat, killed. You have to eat stuff. the losses first. And then it will pay exponentially later on with terms of breakers and that stuff. And especially $1 auction people. 
but everyone has to make those those financial sacrifices in order to build that following. Yeah. And, and basically what I realized was, and, and, you know, I'm still working with whatnot in the future. I'm going to do their whatnot card show. Um, when's that? Are th that is March 26th. And, is that online and or it's online. And, okay. and I really like the idea of, all right, we've got this, we, there's not really any online card shows. And, and until like six, seven months ago, I, I've, I didn't realize that not everybody has a card show near them. If you live in Wyoming, if you live in Montana, even if you live in Missouri, like there may not be a show that's like two, three hours away. And I'm thankful that every weekend we've got something at least around here. I drive up to Wisconsin, Indiana, Michigan, or hop on a flight. Like that's shout all available. Yeah. Sh shout out Missouri still. Like think about St. Louis, which I don't really like, but I just, I felt doing the app, I was getting burned on a lot of stuff and I understood I was going to get burned going in, but I felt so fake doing it and promoting it to other people that followed me and were like, I'm looking to get on whatnot. Like, how do I get started? And it's, and I didn't have a blueprint to tell them because the blueprint is have a following and you're going to get people from your following to come over to the app. And like I said, I, I, I plan on doing more collaborations, but not so much the $1 auction thing. And what I realized was me personally, I think it's going to be easier for me when I'm playing this long game of selling off to people that sell on whatnot, give them good deals, the bigger dealers on whatnot. And I don't have to do the whole packing, shipping, going live, uh, paying my buddy to come over and run all the audio stuff and, and all the chat stuff. Because it, it, if you think that you could start on whatnot and do it by yourself, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy. Like the, it's yeah. it's impossible to do it by yourself and stream by yourself. It if seems you want like, a good stream, at least. It seems like the biggest grind on earth. And like going live for two hours is emotionally draining. Like I'm going to a card show for eight hours is draining, but sitting on your phone when no one's even around you to like kind of feed off other other people's energy bringing it for like I don't know how long your streams would go for but I know that some people go for like three four hours like that's exhausting dude and I wouldn't want to do that really like that in terms of like efficiency plays or whatever like I'd much rather sit at home taking pictures and posting on eBay than going live on whatnot for a few hours or whatever 100% and like it is I I had one guy come up to me at a show it's like it's kind of like streaming on Twitch and I'm like it is not because you're streaming on Twitch, you turn on you turn on the camera, turn on your GoPro or your uh, Elgato, and you just start gaming, and you read the chat whenever you whenever you got it, and and you're focused on the game, and and the game's a lot more interesting than throwing up cheap cards that when you get burned on them, you don't you don't react and you're like, damn, I may have lost ten bucks on that lot that I just listed, but I can't be salty in front of my viewers and put it to the side. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, something that I love about Nick, kind of what you're building, and just kind of like this wave of, you know, people getting into the hobby and stuff is like the squad of people that you surround have surrounded yourself with. Uh, I like to call them the stack and squad. Uh, we got, you know, Mitchell, Chris, Brady, uh, Luke, Steven, obviously, um, just like this guy group of like really solid guys that you guys have kind of travel to shows together. Um, 
So what do you get? What do you think is like the advantages of like having these guys that you trust that you can like travel with and stuff? And like, what are, do you guys have any plans for the future? Like, is this is this like a some sort of a, what's it called with like a music like a collective kind of what I'm saying? There's there's no plan for the future yet. I just kind of let let things develop. I work with Mitchell every day. Like we split a lot of deals together. Um, we're we're probably going to open up an LLC together. That that I'm still working on because we we both have our positives and we both have our negatives in the way that he's really good with grading. So whenever we buy lots, he looks at all the grading stuff. He's really good at he he doesn't get bored doing eBay listings. And I'm really good at making templates for eBay listings and and up and doing the scans for the pictures. And he's more better at making making the actual listing. So there's no actual plan, but I will say if you plan to be in cards long term, at least this is my thing, doing it alone is like, do not ever do that. That is one of the worst ideas. Like, you don't understand how excited I get when I go before going to Dallas, just knowing the camaraderie, what, what is the word, camaraderie? Car- Com- I can't even put it up. Camaraderie? Whatever. Camaraderie. Yeah, exactly. Camaraderie. Like, like, I don't... I played sports in high school. I played, I played football. So just like that time with the boys, it's just, it's so fun. Like, all right, like we're going to the show and yeah, we're there to make money and we're there to deal. But like after the show, like we're going back to the Airbnb where we're watching a game, we're yelling at each other, we're, we're making jokes, we're, we're, we're jabbing at each other. And that's like the fun part of the hobby when you like the people that just started like Mitchell, Chris, Brady, those were all just guys that I met at shows and it developed into, all right, we're friends and now like we're boys and it's just gotten level, level up. And if you don't have those people, it's so hard to just be a lone wolf in this hobby and go to shows. You just don't talk to anyone, don't really have any friends. It's like, it's, it's not fun to go to a show and just talk to yourself all day, if that makes sense. Yeah, I will say that like you guys are also not a clique or anything. Like it's not like it's not like I've ever gone under over your table and not just been like welcomed and like if you ever see Nick and his boys and you want to talk shit about some sports thing going on, go over to their table. They'll very quickly start bantering with you about whatever is going on and it's a fun place to hang out. Like I feel like people always end up just like hanging out by your guys' table at like the Chicago Spectacular and stuff just because you know, that's just, you guys are a fun time. And like, you're not like the other like kind of grumpy dealers who want you to just get out of there as fast as possible. And like, obviously everyone's like conscious of deals being made and not to like, you never want to like, I like, I always think about this, Nick, like when I'm going over to hang out with you guys, like, oh, I'm not going to stand in front of your table if you're dealing with someone. And if you're dealing with someone, like, I'm just going to move on. I'll come back when you guys are chilling. You know, um, I think that's a big part of like shows that people don't talk about a ton is like, it's hard to meet up with people. Me and Max have talked about this last week. Max, remember with the, um, I forget who we were trying to meet up with last week, but just like it shows, it's sometimes hard to know. Like it's business it's time. Is that a? I would love to, intro music. We should definitely have a roundtable oh in a way that. Tommy, sorry, but. my bad, my bad. <laughs> everybody, I want everybody to talk about this in the way that it is so hard to find the balance of when you go up to someone's table and they're doing like. It, I mean, like, it's something that I've learned, but like when they're doing a deal and it's like someone that you're, you're cool with, 
and you you don't want to like you don't want to say hello because you know they're in the middle of something but at the same time you want them to be like like not like oh he didn't even acknowledge me and and i think it's a weird balance of like when nothing's going on at my table i do not enjoy anything more than just like bs talking with people and just like throwing out my random takes hearing your random takes and and just hearing that stuff cuz that's that's just like being back in high school being in a college dorm of just hearing like everybody's stupid takes and everybody's stupid reasoning and no one cares if you're wrong and no one's going to just like absolutely like annihilate your life everybody's just like cool with listening to it but more uh, more of just like when business is going down sometimes people don't understand like hey like i'm trying to work out a big deal like i could talk to you in a little bit but you just got to come back later man 100% 100% max uh did you have something you wanted to say earlier, Max? Sorry, I, th- I think I kind yeah, of... Yeah, a little bit. Um, relationships are important. Um, I've had a lot of different demographics that I now kind of immerse myself in. And like, I know I know a lot of the people that do North Carolina shows. I knew a lot of people that do New York shows. I'm now traveling to different shows across the country. And now I'm, by that, I mean I've done it twice. And I'm scheduled to come to Chicago to see both of you, both of you, both of you human beings. And then, of course, there's everyone that I interact with on Twitter and online and that I have get the shit post with online and talk cards with and then seeing them at whatever show it is. But I think from like a dealing standpoint, being recognizable and knowing what type of stuff you do is very easy and benefits yourself. Nick, you were saying that a lot with your tabling and people walking up with buys, knowing exactly what they're going to get and you're going to get into. But from the satisfaction and fulfillment standpoint, Knowing a lot of people, expanding your network, having people listen and in turn you listening to them back is such an important thing. Tommy, I have no gripe with people who want to post their clips on Twitter and are mega giga influencers. I'm really liking those adjectives today. But it's just a simple matter of you get out what you put in. And sometimes these people don't put in anything they just expect to get. And seeing that is very apparent. But you have two ears, ten fingers, and one mouth. Maybe Nick. Maybe next year you'll get invited to the uh, Culture Collision basketball game. That is not something that I will be playing in ever. Um, <laughs> I retired from the game of basketball after I was in a YMCA league last year. We went zero and seventeen, and I scored. I want to say twenty four points all season. Tough. I will never play basketball ever again after that. That's hilarious. Um, but real- I mean, who wins in a one-on-one between me and Stack? Oh, I don't know, man. I I will have to. He said he retired, so I retired too. I'm but, done. Uh, no Nick, more. I I'm very interested to hear to see what you do in the next couple of years. I think that the sky's the limit for you know. I'm Team Stack and Sell is Card Collector <laughs> Two Two Point potential uh to the moon. Is there any thoughts of like putting the shop together, a little uh, brick and mortar, stack and sell brick and mortar? Is that is that on the table? I I like it's definitely something that's gone through my mind, and I'm a really competitive person, and I want to compete with other people here in Chicago. I also understand that like I don't know where my life's going in the next couple of years. I I literally just moved out less than like nine months ago, and to say like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna 
open up a shop in the next two, three years. I don't know yet. Um, it's definitely not something that I like the way that Ryan does it. It's, it's his shop. Which I don't Ryan? think I'd want to do that. Uh, car collector too. Okay. Where I'm from, there's a lot of Ryan's. Oh, sorry. But, but I don't think that I would want to run a shop by myself in the way that like, I would still want to travel to shows. I would still want to be able to make the content stuff. I would still want to work in the shop, but I don't know if it's something that I would want to completely be running. And then you also got to think of like fanatics coming in. You never know. You don't know what's going to happen with wax allocation. And, and I think a lot of shops that are make all their money off of wax may go down, may, may go under in the next couple of years, just because, they made all their money on wax and they don't have those connections anymore. I'm also banking on the fact that, all right, if I build a good reputation with myself, then maybe like someone fanatics reaches out and is like, Hey, we'd love to give you allocation for your shop because we know that you're going to be consistent with the content. We know that we know your reputation and uh, we, we, we trust that you're going to be one of our best dealers. And I think it's something that I'd definitely be interested in, but I wouldn't want to do it by myself. That makes sense. I think what I, my personal hope for you, Nick, is that you open up the Kentucky Roadshow Chicago edition, Chicago. That would be my ideal uh, scenario. So Jimmy, if you're out there listening to this, hit up our boy, Nick. He's, he's the guy for Chicago. I would endorse that 100%. Um, but Max, you're not, you're not one to do a shop or anything, obviously. What's up, what's up with you? What, what, what do you want Nick to do? What do you, what are your ideas for? My thinking as, as someone who is also cards full time right now? Yeah, kind of by default, but I'm not, I'm not cards career like Nick is. Nick is a cards career man. Um, I've told myself somewhat consistently that if I were to ever have a shop, it'd be like when I'm 60 or 65 and retired. Um, I don't see it as a career for me, my not really a personal thing. I love cards. I would always want to keep it as ancillary and secondary, both in keeping my passion alive while also not viewing it as something necessary to profit in at all times. I mean, Nick, you were saying how you always have a way to get inventory and that, you know, it's replicatable and that wasn't a real word, but it's, you can replicate it. For me, I feel like it's almost like illegal and breaking the rules to make money in cards because yeah, you're, I feel like it's something that you're not supposed to make money in unless you're selling wax. I feel like buying at super bulk discounts isn't something that's fundamentally sustainable. And when it happens, you take it. But I view it as an equilibrium. I think I've said this before uh, between good deals, opportunity, and money. The old, the old chemical card reaction. And more times than not, you run out of good deals before you run out of money. And if you have enough money to buy all the good deals, then okay, then maybe you got to sell a little bit more or replicate that money. But the good deals, because if if there were so many good deals everywhere, everyone would be dealing them. Everyone would be selling the good deals and everyone would be taking them and everyone would be cards full time, but that's just not a thing. So I view it as finite. I don't view it as cards career. I love cards. I cards cards. I am a card. That's hilarious, Max. I think, yeah, yeah I mean, I obviously you and Nick operate way differently. Um, Nick, but yes, similarly too. Nick, do you have anything to respond to Max's point about, or else I have one final topic before we transition into recent buys and specific fun stuff. I the the only thing that I would respond to that is 
I definitely understand in a way that I, I feel like that idea. I also don't like set up at shows nearly as often, nor do I, I emphasize understand. my local market. Yeah. And, and my local market is like, at least on Instagram, probably like 75% of my, my audience, 70% of my audience. It's just people that I've met through shows or seen my stuff online or seen my stuff that I'm in Chicago and, and they know that, Hey, this is the guy that's like the Chicago dealer, basically. Yeah. Um, he's making deals at Portillo's. Exactly. I'm making deals at Portillo's. I need to honestly make like one at Lou Malnati's shout out my former employee and uh, <laughs> some more pizza places, honestly. But I think that, that idea, you let me know. I want to hear a response on this. I feel like that's so like collector mindset in the way that you're thinking of it as when I make money, it feels like robbery. But when I think of it, I think a lot of the people that are truly in this for a hobby sometimes don't want to do the work that it takes to make the actual make the actual 15, 20% on top. I think that most of those guys are like, I have one guy that I buy off of once a month and all he does is rip with his son and he doesn't want to do the hassle of selling on eBay. He doesn't want to do the hassle of going to the shows. He just wants to rip with his son and whatever cards that he wants to keep, he keeps and the rest he's like, buy at 65, 70%. I don't care. I just want to get rid of them, recoup some money. So me and my son could open up more boxes. And I, I think you got to think of those people as well. Yeah, there's a lot more of those people out there, but it does take a grind to like be the one they reach out to. And I think Nick, like, I know that even like Card Collector Two knows that you're the you're the Chicago guy now. Like, if you, I, I remember you telling me this about like whatnot. He was like, you and him were looking through a value bin together, and he was like tossing you Justin Fields Bears cards because he was like, oh, I know you'll be able to liquidate these. I know you have the Chicago kind of base and i feel like that is something that's kind of like unspoken necessary like absolutely necessary to being a long-term like successful dealer is this kind of like carve out of the market that you can kind of control a little bit like it's hard to be the guy for all 30 teams but if you can be the dealer for chicago memory like chicago cards that opens you up to a whole like new world of being able to buy and sell like being the first person people go to and think of when they are pulling cards or like find one at a show or something and are like wow nick might want this whatever um i have to keep saying justin fields just because he's hot and like a name people want right now but like if i if i had a justin fields card you'd be the first person i reach out to to be like hey i see you have like five ten different high-end justin fields every week basically that you're buying and selling like is that that i feel like that's something that like other people and and like when we were going through a box i was handing him all the jamar chases because he can move cincinnati stuff and i think one thing i've realized and that this comes into the fields thing like i've moved in the last three weeks i looked at it last night like transacted if it's trade or selling sixteen thousand dollars worth of just justin fields and that's just because He's so hot in our market right now. And maybe if we have another Chris Bryant or another Anthony Rizzo come up, then that's going to be another hot guy in our market. 
But right now in our market, I came with probably 25, 30 Justin Fields color cards to the, the Skyline show this weekend. Did not make it home with one. And I bought more throughout the show. I probably bought another 25, 30 Justin Fields color and they all sold. I just know that if I buy them at, at a good number and I sell them to people at just a little under retail, they're always going to take them in our market right now. And that's where you can go to a show in California. I went to, when we were at Burbank last week, some guy walks up with 500 base from Prism, Chronicles, Origins, Select, Justin Fields. And he goes, I hate Ohio State quarterbacks. I just want to move this. And I go, okay. Gave him two bucks a card, came home here, moved him at four bucks a card. Is it? Is it, Am I making an astronomical amount? No. But I know that it moves here. So I'm always going to pick it up. And you're keeping people coming back to you. Like people in Chicago know Nick will have this stuff that I want. You know, that's, you're reinforcing that. So next time you get the same revenue, same stuff. Um, real quick though, I'm, I'm going to change the topic before we kind of close out. But something that me and Max talk a lot about is like, where you learn about cards. So me, like we, there's a lot of people that we talk to on Twitter and Instagram a lot who are people that kind of we go to for information on cards like max has been trying to learn more about like vintage t206 you know there's heads that you're reaching out to max about that stuff and like learning those variations nick where like where have you learned the world of cards like is it mostly from other dealers that you ask about or is it or like there any online resources that you can that you would recommend to people to like look up and check out i know this is like super like if if you're this is super like regional based. Like you got to have these in, in your area, but talk to the guys who have been doing this. If that's dealers, I personally love talking to card shop owners that have been in this. Like, like I, I talked to this one card shop owner twice a week and I just bounce stuff off of him. And he's been in the, he's owned his shop for 25 years. I just bounce stuff off of him. Hey, this is what I saw at a show this weekend. Hey, I bought this Jordan. Like, like what I, I, one question I asked him, I'm like, so what, what am I, I bought an authentic Jordan at the Burbank show. I don't, I think Max may have saw it and it I'm is. like, what it. should my, yeah. What should my, uh, how much lower should I value this or how much higher should I value this based on an altered? And he's like, uh, usually this is at least what I've seen. The altered goes for 20 to 30% less. Um, but I looked at yours and yours has amazing eye, eye appeal. So I would price it even a little bit higher than most of the other authentic ones. So I just try to don't talk as much when you're, when you're talking to these people that are in the hobby, more just open your ears and have what they have to listen, have to say, and you gain so much more. You, you, the people that are most quiet at shows most of the times, this is at least what I'm seeing are usually the smartest. The ones that aren't just running their mouth the whole time telling you, oh, I made this move. Oh, I made that move. Oh, I did this. Those are usually the guys that are like super insecure about themselves and like don't, aren't actually like making moves. The guys that are like big, big, you don't even know that they're big, big usually. And do I talk a lot about my success and stuff? Yes. Just because I'm trying to share with people and, and share the way that like, this is how I'm progressing in the hobby right now. I'm trying to show my whole journey of like, I'm doing this full time. 
and this is what I'm doing, and this is what you can do if you want to do this full time. I don't suggest it, but but this is just what I'm doing. Yeah, there's a guy, the guy at Waldorf Stories, you know, Grant. Have you met Grant, Nick? This guy he sets up at the Ludic show. He has the dankest cards that you will ever see. Has some of the best like stuff, but he's super quiet, super humble. And every time he's at a show set up, I'll go over, ask him about a card that I've never seen before in his case and just let him talk because he is always like really excited to talk about it but i know he doesn't talk about his cards like unless you ask him about it so that's a good lesson i think just to people but we're transitioning into the part that usually runs for another little bit here but is what we like to call recent buys uh either on ebay or you know you can talk about anything but basically talk about a few specific deals or cards that you've bought recently and kind of the stories behind it um I'll let Max go first because I don't really have too many, I don't think, this week. Uh, I have one anecdote that I'll talk about, but Max, you go first, then we'll go over to Nick. I'm a bit cards ashamed because I have, I think I've had zero eBay buys since last week's episode. But one buy that I bought somewhat recently, I didn't talk about, was at the Burbank Card Show. I bought a Mickey Mantle game used bat relic for like 100 bucks. I'm like 90% sure that I'm keeping it in my collection for a little bit. As I'm going to more and more shows, I'm usually pretty hesitant in buying expenses for myself in general because we've talked about this before, but expenses, they're not being resold. You're keeping them for a bit. And that's a buy for yourself. Flips, okay, well, if I can make money on it, then sure, I'll go spend however many hundreds of dollars it is on it. But I bought it. I think there was a PSA eight sale at 150 bucks. Mine was a PSA seven. So, and it's a rare and cool enough card to where it's like, okay, if I get bored of it, I can sell it if I want to, but game used Mickey Mantle bat. It is from 2007, excuse me, 2002 upper deck. And it is going next to my Mickey Mantle in-person auto that came back from PSA. That's sick. Classic early 2000s just had way better relics than modern day relics. So like absolute poo poo compared to the early ones. So those ones were there's, so sick. There's a stamped New York Yankees like NYY insignia on the bat and it's upside down. Which is really funny. I don't know if that was like put on aftermarket by Upper Deck, but if it was, it's upside down. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's, uh, Nick, that's Nick, sweet. what did you... Uh, how is the show for you? How is the Ledex show on Saturday for you? What deal? What sort of it, big deal? I saw you making a big bulk deal. Yeah, so I'll say that I ended up coming home with oh, it's right here. I I came home with two full two rows full of slabs, and I've got one one and a half two row or one one and a half two rows left because um, I sold most of it off yesterday and traded it to another dealer the other day, um, but. I wasn't really there to buy the bigger cards this weekend. And as y'all saw, I I dropped like a reel and some people weren't very happy about it because I had one kid come up to me beginning of the show tells me he goes, he like, I just, this is what I I dislike. And I don't like when creators act like this because then you have the little kids that watch you and they act like this. He comes up to me. He goes, yeah, man. I've got AK cash on me today. I'm going to buy a big card. And and I just like 
I just need something new to post on Instagram. And I was like, oh my God, that is like the worst thing that I've heard all day. And that's the worst thing that I will hear all day. And I picked up some like cool stuff that I can move at margin that I know is going to be able to move, but like cool, cool pickups. I got this Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, 101 exotic auto. Uh, I picked up a Tiger Woods 2012 ink drivers auto. And then this was honestly my favorite pickup. I think it's like, it's definitely cheaper than the Tiger auto, but this is, I just loved when Miami used to have these uniforms because their stadium is just so ugly. Um, it's this Ichiro out of 10 patch auto. Ooh, I think it's auto auto kind of looks pretty bad on there, but at the same time, just like anything Ichiro, like one of the greatest players of all time that most of his stats are in Japan, but still, I just used to love watching him grow up when he was on the Mariners, hated him when he went to the Yankees, but those were like my cooler pickups. Everything else that I bought just didn't end up coming home. It would be like, I put it in the case and it would sell or we would trade it. I love the Ichiro pickup. Something Nick that I think is worth bringing up real quick is first, I love your point about the kids. Kids, kids are so susceptible to the content that's being created and so much of it is what I, what what did you call it big dick syndrome or something uh on instagram big big cock syndrome yeah big cock, big cock syndrome. syndrome yeah the, why are you talking the, about me like that <laughs> but uh, to summarize the point that you made basically like you make more money sometimes buying a bunch of smaller cards kids come into shows think they have to buy one eight thousand dollar card and that that's going to be what you know, changes the game for them, makes them a bunch of money. But in reality, that's a way riskier play, way more likely to lose a bunch of money than you would be if you bought multiple cards. Uh, so I think that I appreciate you looking out for the kids and, uh, you know, doing that. But also something that is kind of interesting about what you do with cards is that you really do operate fully equally between all major sports. Like I've seen you buy Tiger Woods autos. I've seen you buy you know, high in football, high in basketball, high in baseball, and you kind of know the game, you know, ball, as Max likes to say, you know, ball for like pretty much all sports, which I think is helpful. Is that something that like, is there a sport that you've learned a lot more about because of cards or like, one that, you know, I, I feel like you were a football player, I know, but like, I feel like baseball was kind of your first love, right? Yeah, baseball was 100% my first love. Um, the one the one thing that I've like I still don't really uh like I'm trying to watch a little bit more is soccer and that's honestly just Mitchell making me watch it when I come over to his house um but that that stuff it's you have like everything that I've learned of is when you buy something you have to like if you're buying something that's like over $500 I try to think okay Am I going to have someone that I know that's going to take this? Uh, so I had a guy basically trying to trade me for the Tiger Auto yesterday. And he was offering me uh, Kirill Kaprizov, who's this guy on, he's a young, it, it was a young gun on, uh, he's on the, the Minnesota Wild. And I was like, I just have, I, I, I front up told him, he was offering me pretty good trade. And I'm like, hey man, I just, I don't have a big Minnesota audience that will take this. I know so many more people that will buy a Tiger Woods auto than the Kirill Kaprizov young gun. And 
Yes. Is there like if I'm buying hockey, I just bought a lot today that was Kane autos. I know that Patrick Kane's gonna move in Chicago. So you can buy, you could you could trade into any single sport, and I'm and I'm learning a little bit about every single one a little bit more every day. But if there's not a end consumer, and maybe the end consumer is eBay Max, maybe it is. But if if you're looking to move it quicker and give a guy a little bit of a discount, I try to think, all right, if I'm buying football, do I know a T-Law guy out there? Do I know a Jarborough guy out there? If that makes when sense. When you're trading, do you think of it from a monetary standpoint or do you think of it from a liquidity standpoint? Because I feel like it's generally, especially in this day and age, pretty difficult to win and trade a $750 card for an $850 card and move up laterally like that. You have you have two minutes to respond to this question, Nick, because I unfortunately have to cut us off here because as much as I'm loving this, my bladder is not loving it. No, no, that's completely fine. I, I, will, I will go as fast as possible. I think of it as a liquidity standpoint, and but what I think of some, most of the time is what did I buy the card for? And if it has a new comp, let's say I bought something for 600 and there's a new comp at 850, I want to trade out of that card at 850 then. Or if I if I bought a, a one thing that I always do is I'll buy a card raw and I'll and I'll if I get a PSA 10 on it, I'll think of okay, what did I buy it for raw? And what's that PSA 10 going for? How much technical money am I going to make if I trade out of this now? get a little bit more value than whatever the PSA 10 goes for. Am I going to have an easier time moving those smaller cars that I'm getting in trade for that PSA 10 than I am just straight out selling the PSA 10? Yeah. My condolences for your bladder, Tommy. But I do think it's interesting because whether you're into that PSA 10, let's say you're into that $250 card and you know that you can ideal at the best scenario, you're selling it for 225 because that's how most off-platform deals work you sell for 90 percent, or you net approximately 90 percent from ebay but let's just say you're getting 225 out of that if you're trading that for another 250 dollars card that has similar comps what is the advantage for you trading out of that card into a new one in the first place rather than holding the new card i'll supplement this with my thoughts once you cover yours okay i, I will go i'll go as quick because i do not want tommy's bladder to explode yeah. Um, go ahead. Um, it's being addressed off camera. Usually, usually if I'm buying, if I'm trading a $250 card for a $250 card, I was not able to move that $250 card that I have right now. And my mindset at least is I wasn't able to move that card. Let me have another opportunity on something that maybe I have a better chance at moving 200 at $250. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if, if I've had something that hasn't been moving at that 250 range, even if I have to go down to that 225 range, but I know that I have a buyer for, for that card at the 225 range, I'd way rather take that card because I know that I'm going to be able to move that card a lot quicker than I've had a card that's been sitting for a week, week and a half. Yeah, that's pretty much how I view it. I try to view trades in two different scopes. One is if I'm selling a card online, someone likes my card and they want to trade for it and not at my cash price. I try to take in what they're getting at trade at 80% and not from like a dealer ogre bad standpoint, but just from a, 
okay, well, my cash value is at 90%. And the re and a compelling reason for me to take your trade over trying to get 90% is okay, I'd have the value item at 80% for it to even make sense for me to do. Sure, there's fair trades, but if you are saying online you want my card, and I like my card, I know my card is easy to move-ish, and someone is saying, hey, I want to trade for your card. Well, I have to view the card less than cash. Otherwise, what's the purpose of me even trading? So I view that as one scenario of me trading, which is stuff that's usually online or someone at the very least has expressed interest in my cards. The other scenario that I think of is more at shows and trade nights. I'm going to be at Bleecker Trading in New York City tomorrow on Tuesday, maybe today, depending on when Tommy turns this out. But when I am trading in person at shows or trade nights, I do exactly what you said, Nick. I think of it as cards that I am having a difficult time moving, either because the fundamentals of the card make it difficult to move or because I'm just not built different enough to move it. But in those scenarios, like I have a Luka Stoncic hollow VGS 95 right now. Last two comps are firm 750-750. I know that there's no point in me trading out of that card at 750. It's an easy card to move. I just haven't done it yet. You know, I've only owned it for about a week, but I know that I can get, it won't be too hard for me to exit at 90% cash for that to be traded out of at a trade night. I would need a little bit higher than that. So the otherwise, what's the purpose? But if it's a niche baseball prospect that I've held for a few months, that doesn't have that big of a market base and I have an interested buyer then I need to capitalize on that interested buyer. And even if they can't pay or won't pay fully in cash, I need to factor that in and take take advantage and capitalize on that while I have this buyer in front of me, knowing that it is a card I may have difficulty moving and may hold for a few more weeks. I had a great trade real quick that I'll close out the episode with last week. You, you uh, have that thought while taking a piss? I Yeah, I did have this thought while I was taking a piss. I, uh, I traded, I had Nick, I pulled the, Julio Gatorade Bath SP out of update. Um, so mm, I've been hanging on to that okay. for a little bit. Um, and on the day of Series 1 being released, I tweeted out saying, I'm down to trade this for a Julio Gold Cup parallel. So trading the rookie for the Gold Cup for my collection to like kind of, you know, whatever. I, I'd rather have a Gold Cup. The guy I would have given you 200 cash. I know you would have given me 200 cash, but I wanted to see what's out there. Some guy reaches out to me the same day. He said, I have, I pulled... On release day, I pulled the Julio Gold Cup Gold out of 2023. Um, are you down for cash in this card for the for your SP? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Uh, we ended up doing 110 cash plus his Julio Gold for my Julio short print. I was extremely hyped about it. You know, I got cash out of the deal, which I, you know, as someone who does a lot of trading but not a lot of selling all the time, getting cash out of any deal is always a win for me. Um, and he got a card, you know, he want, he's a rookie card collector. So he was excited. He, he wanted a Julio SP or like some sort of cool Julio rookie. Um, pretty easy deal. Guy's out in Iowa. Nice guy. Uh, sports card Benji on Instagram. But oh, he's, Nick, he's a good guy. I like Benji. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, Nick, thanks for coming on, dude. I mean, I clearly we have enough content to probably do like a full series with you. So I feel like every once in a while, we're just going to have to pull you in and hear what you've been up to. Maybe when Max comes, if Max comes out for the national, we can do some sort of live episode or something too. It would be fun, I think. Uh, but yeah, make sure to follow Nick at Stack and Sell on all channels, right, Nick? I, that's your at, right? Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. I'll try on Twitter more. Yes, when Tommy is, or Tommy, when Max is in town for the national, 
Definitely need to have and an in-person sit-down. Like four weeks. Yeah, he's he, he will be here for uh, St. Patty's Day. But we can't drop two podcasts for me back to back. But we'll we'll no, do no. maybe we'll do some content though. We'll do some content something. Cards. Cards. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, yeah, if you if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. And if you got any uh, if you got any cards, if you want to sell a million of your cards, reach out to Nick. He's always buying at least <laughs> that's at least seven figures though. Now you have to have seven figures quantity to reach out to. We're looking for a small loan of a billion cards next time. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. Peace out. Cards.